what's your big idea? How far do you want to go? That's the first thing. Like, what is the change that you want to see externally from, you know, what's the impact that you want to make on the world? Welcome to Tech Marketers Uncorked. Every episode, I share a glass of wine with a leader in the tech marketing field, bringing you the best B2B marketing strategies for you to make your own. Today, I'm joined in the studio by my good friend, the fabulous Flavilla Fongang, a multi-award winning serial entrepreneur, international keynote speaker, and neuromarketing expert. She is the founder of Three Colors Rule, an award-winning branding and marketing agency, and the author of 99 Strategies to Get Customers. She's been recognized as one of the most influential women in tech in the UK and is also the founder of Global Tech Advocates Black Women in Tech, the largest organization of Black professional women in tech. Flavilla is a real expert in marketing and branding, having created the DAC system and the Beyond Marketing approach. Welcome, Flavilla. But before we dive into the questions, let's open this beautiful bottle of champagne. Today, we're drinking the 2017 La Cuvée, a popular choice from one of France's most famous champagne houses, Laurent Perrier. The company survived the impossible when its owner hid 100,000 bottles behind a wall during World War II. Those bottles have since been drunk, but today we're tasting a popular ancestor. Let's uncork that bottle. Santé. Cheers. Santé. <laughs> For the first time, I'm drinking champagne on a podcast, so that's a good sign. It's going to be a good podcast. It means that you can get some any kind of information from me mm-hmm. by the end of the podcast episode. God knows what I would say. Well, it's the best. I mean, yeah. Well, I always feel super classy when I'm drinking champagne. Yes. Uh, yeah. Whether it's in a podcast studio or somewhere really luxurious, like yes. champagne always adds a touch of luxury. It does. It does. You know, it and that's probably why it's my favorite drink. I think it just also gives you, it's the energy that you bring and how you feel about yourself. You know, it's whatever you drink for celebration, whatever you drink, because, you know, you you be deserve, you think that you deserve champagne, drink it, you know. It's a nice way of celebrating life just in general. Today we are here to talk about neuromarketing. Yeah. So tell me... I mean, start at the beginning. What is neuromarketing? Yeah, I think the best way to describe neuromarketing is the science of consumer behavior. What does it really mean? I think people always assume that, you know, people will buy from you just from because you have the best product in the market. And sometimes you have to understand what are the elements that stimulate the mind to act and engage. And when you understand those, you can know exactly how to use your your content or your visuals to really create interest and engagement. I can give you so many examples, but the best way to describe, and I always use that in when I do presentation, I saw, uh, I present to people a slide of a car, you see this Porsche, and you see on the plate number say, it was his, you know, and that's for a divorce lawyer. You know, you, and it can be so subtle as simple things, you know, visually, depending on who you're selling to, understanding that. But essentially, whether you are, especially when you're in B2B, people forget that behind those B2B brands, they are people and they're looking for elements that reassure them that you have the right choice to make. And that's what neuromarketing is to make it easy for people to think that you have the best choice for them. And we see some of the most well-known brands from Apple to McDonald's and so forth. 
And, you know, in, you know, in our agency, we love to address just the element of colors. You know, I always love to give that example to people. If you go to you go to a party and the security guard at the entrance is wearing a pink suit, you probably think that, you know, he's a cool guy. I can crack some jokes with him. And then you go to another club and then he's wearing a black one, black suit. You probably don't have the same behavior. And just, just by me telling you about colors, you can see how it impacts your decision and your behavior. And that's just on color. So when you add that, you know, the right stimuli, the right language, the right element at the right time makes it so much easier. So it's basically about understanding what makes us tick and what yes. makes us behave in certain ways, which goes a lot deeper, you know, so deep that we maybe don't even think about it. 100%. So you wouldn't think about, you know, how you interact with a bodyguard who's wearing pink compared to black, but mm. you naturally and ins- ins- almost instinctively do it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The brain, the way I explain it, you know, the brain is divided in three. You have reptilian brain, neocortex, and the limbic system. Your neocortex is what we're using right now. When you're trying to learn something new, you're questioning your existence, you using your clever brain, you know, when you're studying something, it requires, it takes most of your energy. Then you have your limbic system, which is controls your behavior, your emotion, where you fall in love, how you react after a breakup, you know, and so much more. And then you have your reptilian brain, which is your also called the lazy brain. This part of your brain, its job is to keep you alive. The brain is trying to stay alive and therefore consume the last amount of energy. So what we do, we gather a lot of information and we try to make decisions very quickly. When you look at a package or when you go into a website, you're looking for elements that will convince you that that company is the right company for you. And um, I like to describe six stimuli. So first of all, we are all self-centered. So you're looking for elements that talks about you. So again, something, you know, people say, I'm for everybody or my business is for everyone. Or, you know, that's the entrepreneur is about to fail. You know that. And again, something most people love to talk, most companies love to talk, talk about themselves when they should be putting their customer as a centerpiece of the story. If you put your customer as a hero, then they're most likely to, you know, to engage with you. And again, something tangible. You tell me, you say you're great. Show, show me to me. Show it to me. We don't like to be the first one to buy from someone, essentially. If you think about it, when you go to on Amazon... You scroll down, you look at the product, and then you scroll down. You want to see how many people have reviewed this. If I see only five people have bought it and there's only a few reviews, like, forget this. I'm going to look for something else. That's how the brain works. And that's how, you know, you can use your audience to really advocate for your product, you know, and so much more. Instead of you talking about your product, let your audience, let your customers talk about your product. We are all looking to make safe choices that will evade us, prevent us from pain. I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense because I've heard, you know, well, I'm a big believer in like customer avatars and understanding who your audience is. But this is kind of like taking it to the next level and thinking even deeper. So, I mean, where where do you even where do you even start? Mm, this is a very good question. I think the best way to start is actually to speak to your customers. Ask them, like, what is the reason you buy, you you chose to work with us? What elements, you go with them and say, what elements about our website really spoke to you? And if you look at this in terms of, oh, I saw that on the website and this element really spoke to me, especially if you have a, if you have a low conversion, you want to know why they are not buying from you. Say, oh, I chose you because these guys have, this is a guy, look at Harvard on their website and they obviously have more case studies. Or this guy, they have like track record with companies who are, Commit just two hours, therefore we're going to work with them. You know, customer survey, prospect surveys, you know, in the know, asking your sales guys to also make sure that they do the right questioning if something doesn't doesn't get closed. It's so important, part of that journey. So once you kind of have this, like, 
all these insights. You have, you know, a customer avatar. You've maybe done surveys or you've used an agency to get into neuromarketing Mm -hmm. a bit more. I mean, what's the next step? What do you do with that? The next step is very simple. You you go into that phase as, you know, whatever is called A-B testing or prototyping, depending on if it's a product, you go into prototyping. If it's a messaging or website, you go into designing and you don't design one website, design, you know, two or three versions. We would just then reassess this people, you know, the, the prospects and how they perceive the brand. That journey, it should never be done in silo. The more you involve your ideal prospects or clients within the within the journey, the more they're likely to give you as well honest feedback. And I think that's what's so important as well. That relationship that you have, those you know, faithful customers who know that they can tell you to your face <laughs> how they feel about you. They are the one that you want to put on that list or special ones to say, okay, I'm about to rebrand. What do you think about this? Or I'm about to readjust my marketing campaign. What do you think about this? Again, something like, you know, as you say yourself, be careful when you do things in, you know, all internally because you don't get an honest feedback, especially if it's political <laughs> characters. Office politics. Office policies. <laughs> we know it. And I'm looking at it like, this is not going to work. So to start with implementation, you create, you know, multiple versions and you do A-B testing and you get clients involved and you get them to, like, give you their feedback. But then what? Then what? That's it. You go, you go out there and you test it against something. You go and test it and you refine it continuously. That's how people forget is that my website is live. Okay, I don't have to touch it anymore. That happens all the time. It uh, doesn't really work, but you should continue to refine it. And again, something that, that's what's beautiful about our space that we have all the mark tech out there to really help you, whatever it is, SEMrush, whatever it is, Google Analytics, and God know how many AI now plays a role as well into this. You test uh, as people are using your product. Again, something people might have said something, but you realize the interaction of behavior on the website is completely different. And then you go back to that again and say, okay, so I can see that you've been on the website. You know, what has been your interaction with your, you know, the brand? That's something that the sales guys probably would not be interested in doing. And that's why you want to make sure when you have this first prospect conversation, is a marketing person who can be on the call and also have this conversation if the person is okay to do it because not everybody's like, wow, they're asking me too many questions. So you have to also test the territory depending on the type of customer. B2B always be different from B2C because we don't have the same volume. But if you have a B2B customer who's knowledgeable and is open to give you some feedback in terms of this interaction, use that. And I think people don't understand the importance of how much it is to really ask questions. Be nosy. <laughs> I said, be like a French woman. Be ask questions. Be like an American woman. Ask questions. It will never hurt if somebody feels that they don't want to answer. Okay, fine. Don't push too much. But really ask as much as you can. And then step by step, you refine and get something right, you know. How do you how do you start to learn about neuromarketing? Because it sounds like a really like comprehensive yeah. field, and there's so much like information. How do you even start to learn about it? I've always been a, a self learner. So what I've studied when I was at university, and then when I became a fashion stylist, I self taught myself. So there's a lot of books that I don't remember now, but I will send you the list that I before that are really good in terms of anchor pricing, how do you do pricing, and so much more, which are just brilliant. Some of them can be quite fluff, but you know as you you know, as you read them, you see you see some patterns in repetition and then you see, okay, what works? You know, there's a lot of great content, but the idea behind it is that you don't really need to learn so much about new marketing. The concept is keep, you know, try to keep it simple. People don't have 
to search for information. How many clicks does it take to get to you to your call to action? If it's too long, then you miss the point. Are you something? Are you using jargon that people don't understand? If you're selling to CEO or CMOs or other CMOs or whatsoever, nobody likes to feel stupid. So making yourself look intelligent doesn't help you at all. Keep it simple. That's really the rule. And you know, think about from simple as design or copy or whatsoever. It's about that's that's the that's simple rule of new marketing. So even though it sounds like super comprehensive, you don't need a PhD in <laughs> neuroscience to do neuromarketing. No, you do not. If I did it, <laughs> anybody can do it. Trust me. I have a simple mind. Yes, no, you don't have to do that. I think you have to. I would say to marketers out there, stay curious. You know, I, you know, I became, you know, that voice in your marketing because I've learned and, and I studied it and I applied it and I saw that it really, really worked. And then from that, I want to teach others in terms of how they can do it as well for themselves in terms of, you know, they talk, especially in B2B marketing, I think people will lose a sense of the importance that at the end of the day, you're talking to human. Do you understand what this person's role is about and how you can help them in their position? If you can articulate that, then you have it. So on this journey of teaching yourself neuromarketing, was there anything that like surprised you that you thought, oh, like I didn't know that before and I was, you know, maybe mm. maybe such an idiot before uh, and <laughs> now I really get it. Was there anything that really surprised yeah. you? What I really liked was anchor pricing. I thought it was so fun. I was like, wow, that's how they do it. You know, like, you know, and I always say, like, take example, like, you, you know, let's say, you know, we go on a date, I take you on a date and is the waiter offers us, you know, free bottle of wine. One is at five euros, one is at 10 euros, and one is at 15 euros. Which bottle of wine are you likely to pick? Probably the 10. <laughs> <laughs> because you don't want to sound too cheap, but at the same time, you don't want to spend that much money on the first date. And that's what anchor pricing is about. You make the 10 euro bottle as the best choices compared to the other one. But that's one thing that I realized that, wow, that's how they do it. And, you know, and especially how, you know, you do it in technology with SaaS company and so much more. I thought, I thought, I thought that's such a good way and simple way to just get people to buy what you want them to buy. You know, that's so important. I think another one that I really like is what I've always liked was the power of color psychology. I've, I've been obsessed with colors. And you know me, your color is blue, mine is red. And those colors have meaning. You know, red is passion. Blue is someone who's safe, keep you calm. You know, there's an element behind every color. And the mind, again, your subconscious mind will associate your brand with this. So if you want to, especially as a technology companies, company, if you use you know, um, dull color, you don't represent innovation because most innovative companies would have modern colors, bold colors, and so much more. But again, if you are a wealth management company established for 1919, since 1918, whatever well, it they is. They always go for black. Yeah, they go for black, gray <laughs> color, boring, traditional phone, Times New Roman. But that's how they want to represent because people are looking for You've been doing it for years. I know that if I give you my money, you're going to be a safe choice. I was with an InsurTech client the other day, and they they had printed off all of their competitors and put it on a board. And, you know, the board was far enough away that I couldn't really see it without my glasses on. Mm. And when you put them side by side, you realize that they all look yeah. exactly the same. They're all blues and greens, mm. and they, they don't stand out from yeah. each other at all, especially mm. at that distance. So, like, how do, you, how do you change that? I love that. That's what we did with one of our insurance technology clients, EAP, and their brand is yellow. They're now still one of the top 50 
insurance technology company in the world because we did that exact same exercise. We say, okay, you want to do that color? We're going to put all these logos and tell me if your brand stands out inside this or not. What, what does it look like? You know, it's easier to convince someone by demonstrating it again instead of telling them what to do. I always use that example. Comparison helps, you know, when you're trying to change you may be people who've been in the business for some time and you know when some some CMO comes in and trying to shake things up, you know, I say, I'm your ally. They're probably not gonna listen maybe to you because you know you are in-house. But if I come in with my external voice, oh, okay. But I will always use as you know, say me or my team will always use example to validate our choices. So facts are undeniable. So I say, okay, well, let's look at everybody. Do you want to blend in or do you want to stand out? Real simple, simple. <laughs> Obviously, nobody likes to blend in. Okay, so you don't want to blend in. But how do you actually, like, choose the right colors for your brand? Okay, so the way we choose colors is based on a brand value. So what do you stand for? You know, something innovation, strength, uh, security whatsoever. As I, as I, remember I mentioned earlier on that every color has a meaning. So therefore, based on what you say your, your brand values are, we help align those brand values to the colors that best fit with us. So yes, so when we chose our brand colors, it was very much red, black, and white. Red was for passion, black was for professionalism, and white was for speed. Again, something, do they still align with what we stand for? Yes, absolutely. And that's why so it's easy way to choose a color so you don't choose random colors. But you can also, also like Monzo has done it, say, I'm going to do something that is very bold. Remember that the card say, when you see that card, you know it's a Monzo card. You can be very bold. And that's what they are. If you think about it, the brand is bold in terms of what they brought to the market and how it changed the entire traveling industry where, you know, we're so used to paying so many charges when we travel. And it changed that. And, you know, companies then followed and traditional banks followed. But that's really what it stands for. Like when people look at your brand, they should feel the energy of your company. If they don't feel that, then you're just another one that. You're just a commodity. If you want to be a commodity, that's fine. But you want to be a brand who is able to build a legacy. A lot of companies have the same values. They all want to be innovative and trustworthy and professional. Like anybody who goes to work wants to be professional. So that doesn't make you unique. (laughs) So I guess it starts even deeper than that. How do you define values that you can then pick colors on that Mm -hmm. are actually unique to you and are not just the same as everybody else. That's a very good question. And I think first thing is that when you think about your values is these are not values people expect them from you. They're not values. People expect this from you that these are not values. This is what people expect from you. What are the things that people expect from you? So we're going to cross them off. That's why it becomes (laughs) harder. Like, oh, that's when you see the real work start. They're like, okay, now... This is where you pick your, your your words carefully. It's like, okay, da, 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 you know, we, you know, we, you know, again, something you say innovation. Okay, you, it's already crossed, so you can't use innovation. That's hard. And But when you do that right, that's when you have a great brand. Also, the value that you had five years ago might not still be relevant as your brand evolved. And I say that to people all the time. Does anybody know in the team know what the values are? And they look at me like, uh, okay, hmm. so... Nobody knows. You haven't even communicated to the team, da, 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 and so forth. Or are they still relevant now, now that you've evolved? And think about your company when you started and what it is now. A lot of things have changed. Does this need to be readjusted? And this is why, especially technology companies, they need to think in terms of every brand, not every year, but at least three to five years, depending on how fast, especially if it's a scale-up who's going super fast. And how do you how do you know when it's time for a rebrand? Mm. That's a very good question. It's time for a rebrand when your mission has changed, your business mission has changed, 
or people don't recognize themselves in those values. And you can see that how your customers will describe you is very different from what you put on paper or how your employees will come in. Like, oh, especially when new employees come in, ask them, so what do you believe are the values? You know, if, you know, if they're on the website, it's like, what do you think of the values? Do you think that we match after six months? Do you think we match? And if you think that alignment is off, Mm-mm. that's where you lose yourself. So it's like, okay, it's time to re No, it shouldn't be every six months for sure. It means that they're not strong, but you think that your company is changing because of especially how the hiring is made or how the people that you're working with or where the business is going, co-founders go in different direction and so much more. We evaluate that. It's a bit like a surgery. And when you want to start a rebrand, how do you start that? It starts with the values or yeah. a workshop? What's your big idea? How far do you want to go? That's the first thing. Like, what is the change that you want to see externally from, you know, what's the impact that you want to make on, on, the, on the world? How does it look like? And then the mission that you you know that you were standing for is it still have you accomplished it? You need a new mission statement, you know, and your mission statement that's something that should be reviewed because if you achieve it and if it's not challenging enough and you achieve it in six in three months, that's not a good mission statement. But if it's um if it's clear and people can understand it after three years, have we achieved that? What's next? What's the new mission statement? And so if you evaluate the strategy first when you do look at the brand, did you evaluate your strategy first, the element of your brand, where we are, our positioning and so much more. You evaluate your identity is a brand, visual presentation, communication is still accurate, is it still consistent. And the third part is all the elements, which is like your outbound, inbound activities, copy, um, social media, content, you know, the way you go and approach your customers are, is even still relevant for us. All these elements should be your 360 review of your brand. Even when people don't put marketing and sales in the brand, but I think they all t- align to it because the assets that you create within the strategy and the, and the identity phase help support the marketing and the sales and copy activities. So step by step, you know, you get there. If you aren't, you know, a big massive brand like Amazon or Apple and you don't have unlimited budget, you know, how do you mm. achieve all this? How do you incorporate neuromarketing? You know, it sounds yeah. like it might be really expensive, <laughs> but how do you how do you do this stuff when you don't have unlimited budget and mm. how much budget do you really need to be able to do neuromarketing? Do you know what? That's why people get it wrong. They always believe that you need to have a lot of budget to achieve a great campaign. I think what you need is to have great creativity. And I think people really don't understand the idea of being less boring. When I know I didn't have budget, I was like, how are we going to be creative about how we do this? You know, whatever it is, guerrilla marketing, also, you know, community. You know, I talk about the evolution of our relationship with our customers. You know, our customers now drive the conversation. And why, you know, the birth of social influencers, whatever it is in B2B or B2C, they are there for a reason. But our customers are our social influencers. But if we know how to utilize them, we can go so much further. And quite often, we as don't necessarily know how to do that. And if you're creative about it and how you can really amplify your brand for their channel, then you save yourself a lot of money. A lot of clients like aren't very active on social, especially yeah. in tech. Absolutely. I think it's a massive like underserved yes. market is, you know, social media for tech and like personal brand building. Oh my God, yes, we know that. A lot of people are being laid off. And you know, I was talking to the CEO and said to me, oh my gosh, I've been looking for a job for two months but he's never spent time building his personal brand. And therefore, you know, there's this guy who will jump out of a plane and you know, obviously he's, he's a creative director and you see on his page, he has like all these awards that he's won. He's going to get snatched when he comes back from his holiday. There was somebody who applied to work at Coffee House as like a junior copywriter. Maybe like 
two years ago. Um, and, you know, we had interviewed him. We'd kind of been interested, but ultimately didn't go with him in the end. And then he went to another company, like um, a brand. And he's been really active on social. So, like, I've kept up with, like, what he's doing and where he's at. Um, and he sent me a message today to be like, oh, I saw that you guys were hiring. Like, I'd be really interested. And I said, absolutely. I'd <laughs> absolutely love to have you on the team. Our head of people is going to contact you, yeah. like, this week. Um, and if he hadn't, like, been active on so, social, I would have mm-hmm. completely forgotten about yeah. him. You know, we interview a lot of copywriters, and we don't always, you know, for whatever reason, don't go mm-hmm. forward with some of them. But because I saw, like, the way that he was thinking and the way that he was acting, I told our head of people this is our next, like, content strategist in the making. So we have a really brilliant, like, content mm, strategist. Uh, and I see a lot of similarities between the two of them. So mm. he sent me that message today, and, you know, we'll be interviewing him before the end of the week. But that's all because of his personal brand. Yeah, personal brand. Yeah, so powerful. staying top of mind and, you know, building that relationship and telling people who you are, I think, is such an important part of building a brand that so often gets overlooked. Yes, overlooked and people say, I don't have time. I say, come on, you don't have time to post once a week? It doesn't take that long because it's like, you can be that lazy and use ChatGPT to do it for you if you want to be that lazy, if you have no idea. So like, really, there's no excuse nowadays if you want to be like starting point and you're not comfortable. Come on now. But I think, you know, people don't realize, again, that's why I talk about neuromarketing marketing so much is that you have to put seeds in people's mind. People who see your content don't necessarily need you right now. But at some point when they need you, it's like, hey, I remember Flavilla. Hey, I remember Catherine and so forth. And they come to you. That's what happens. And, and by the time you don't have to go through all this process, a number of times I work with some of the largest brands that didn't have to go through, you know, the, you know, what you call procurement or whatsoever. They decided that they already wanted to work with me because they knew exactly what I was doing, exactly what we, you know, like we're known for inclusive branding, inclusive marketing, where people build brands that speak to one people, we build brands that feels unique, but at the same time speak to different people. That's our strength. So when you know and work with us, there's clarity in terms of what you're going to get. If you care about diversity, when you come to us. Again, same thing. By the the time I was like, okay, yeah, we really do have a project. We want to give it to you. I had no competition. So what's like the one piece of advice you'd give somebody who's starting to build a neuromarketing strategy? Read some good book first of all. When you've read the good books, then um, do your research. So do your research in terms of your company. Do some internal research, internal interviews, and then do some external interviews as well. When you gather that against something, do an, you know a small test. Instead of doing a big test, do a small test on one product. Just to do test one thing. So if you have multiple services within your B two B offering, test one product. You know you should have a landing page for every service technically. So test it on one product before you go crazy and spend hours and hours. And then when you test it and it works, then you can see how you can apply it to the other things. It's always good. You know don't burn yourself. I see people burning themselves in spending three months on the project and then at the end like ah it didn't work. Yes, try to do it in three weeks. Give yourself a deadline. Give us some time. Three weeks, I'm going to test it, see how it works. Then when, it, when the methodology applies, then see how you can roll it out step by step to all the other services and whatever it is. And I think in this journey, they might face some challenges, especially because most tech companies are founded by people who are mm-hmm. very technical. So they may not understand neuromarketing. So... Mm-hmm. What would you say to them or how would you help them overcome that challenge of people who don't understand neuromarketing? Yes. I would say the best way to think about neuromarketing is that people love to make safe choices that will not put themselves at risk. How can you provide a simple messaging that showcases that you are a safe choice? The brands that you've worked with, the case studies that you have, the metrics, 
the you know the the the, the presentation sells maybe like a a product onboarding process. People love people have clarity. Think about how you can in in the mind of your prospect, they understand that you have safe choice. You've been there. You know what you're doing about, and they're not the first one to buy your product. You know, and so if you can do that, then you have a buying audience. Thank you to Flavilla for joining me on Tech Marketers Encore. You can find out more about Flavilla by following her on LinkedIn. Hopefully you've picked up some growth marketing strategies. And if you're tempted by a bottle of our favorite champagne, there's a link in the show notes. As always, I'm your host, Catherine Strachan, CEO of Copyhouse, an award-winning B2B content marketing strategy for fast-growing fintech and technology brands. If you're looking for a place to pick up the best marketing insights, our specialists at Copyhouse got you covered. From B2B marketing in the metaverse to the perfect XEO to maximize your brand exposure, you'll find just what you need to bolster your own marketing strategies at copyhouse.io. There's a link in the show notes. Tech Marketers on Court is produced by Fascinate Productions. See you next time. Over and out. <laughs>